You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Financial Mechanic. This is Tori Dunlap from Her First 100K. This is A Purple Life, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson. And this is Doc G. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have a little bit of a provocative question today that we're going to ask of three special young ladies that have joined us today. Are young women the new face of financial independence? And we're going to give each of them a chance to give a quick introduction and jump into the conversation. I'm a Purple Life. I recently turned 30, live in Seattle, work in marketing, and I'm planning to retire in 2020 to eat my way across the world. I'm financial mechanic. I write about my journey to FI by the age of 32. I explore the intersection of money in my life and I'm excited to get into it. I'm Tori Dunlap. I'm the founder of Her First 100K, a money and career platform for women. It was inspired by my journey to save 100K at 25. And yeah, I believe I was put on this earth to fight for women's financial rights. Purple, you mentioned that you're 30 years old now. How old were you when you discovered the financial independence movement? I was 23 and my partner mentioned it to me and then I ignored him for two years. So 25 when I started on my journey. And what do you think that hesitation was? Why did it take two years? Oh, embarrassingly, there are saved G-chats of all of my objections and it was all the normal stuff. Why would I want to retire? What would I do when I retired? I don't hate my job. This sounds silly. This sounds hard. But I kept telling myself, oh, I just need to find my dream job and then everything will be perfect. Then I got that job. Everything was not perfect. And I decided I needed an exit strategy. So was it anything your partner said that kind of built in this buy-in for you? Or was it just life circumstances that changed? I think a little bit of both. From his side, he didn't bother me about it too much, which I think was partially because we have separate finances. So the fact that I wasn't going along the path with him wasn't a point of stress. And then also my life circumstances did change. I had those two years to think about it and realize "Hmm, it's okay to have a backup plan. 
So mechanic, it sounds like Purple was 25 when she really started thinking about financial independence. How old are you now and when did you start thinking about it? I'm 26 right now and I discovered FI about two years after I graduated, so about three years ago. So I've been on the path to FI for three years, but my whole life I've been frugal. So I already had the base when I discovered what it could mean to retire early and then just went from there. Tori, for you, is it about financial independence or is it more about career building? A big part of the content you produce is about how to build your career and how to specifically ask for what you deserve. Yeah, I think that's one of the ways I'm a little bit different in the personal finance community is I'm not talking strictly about FI. I'm really trying to build an educational platform for anybody from any sort of walk of life. So, you know, women who are probably never even, you know, haven't even heard of the financial independence movement or are not aware of it. So my own personal journey is a little different. I would love to reach at least the FI part of FIRE in a little bit. That's one of my goals. But really, the big goal I was chasing was 100K at 25. And now that I've hit that, like for me, sky's the limit at this point. So early retirement wasn't big on your list of things you were shooting for? No, I mean, I'm still young. I know that I have many more years in my career left, whatever the career that looks like. I'm not sure yet, but I know that I probably never will fully retire. So figuring out what retirement would mean to me, I think, is part of this as well. Purple, talk to us a little bit about your early financial independence role models. Who did you first discover? And describe a little bit the typical person who was into the fire movement when you started? The first five blogs I read were the typical Mr. Money Mustache, J.L. Collins, Go Curry Cracker. And as you can tell, they're all white men, mostly engineers. And that was the space. That was what meetups looked like five years ago. I was kind of the odd one out. Mechanic, let's talk about this a little bit. How would you describe the kind of OG fire blogger out there that all of us know and love? So I found the financial independence movement through Reddit, which is heavily male dominated, and then found Mr. Money Mustache. And it very much was this male voice. And something that kind of put me off of Mr. Money Mustache was he talks about punching people in the face for driving around clown cars. And at first, I thought that I was interested in money, I was interested in writing, but I didn't want to create a money blog because I didn't see myself in his story or the mad scientist story. Well, actually, mad scientist a little more. Then I found Frugal Woods, and she's a woman and crafting her dream life to go live in Vermont. And hearing from a woman changed the whole thing for me, especially following then fiery millennials. And I realized that there is a space for my voice and that there needs to be representation in the fire movement so that more people realize that it's for them too. Tory words matter. And when Mechanic was just talking about the face punch, it made me think about some of the words you use on your blog. And one term you use is financial feminism. Can you tell me what that is and how it relates to what we're talking about today? It's my favorite thing in the world. So I think that we don't have equality as any sort of marginalized group, but especially as women, I don't think we have any sort of equality until we have financial equality. And so starting there, I think in order to get all of these other rights that we're talking about very frequently is really important. I mean, everything's tied to money, whether we like it or not. So I think the more educational resources and the more actionable advice we give women around money, the more they can start changing their, not only their relationship with money, but their entire lives. And so I think think my big thing is, yeah, how do I spread money advice and guidance in a way that's going to fight the patriarchy? 
Mechanic, let's talk about that a little bit more. Are there more young women in the personal finance and financial independence community now than there were a few years ago? I definitely see the movement changing. I see more women. I see more people of color. I see more voices. I see the story changing from this bootstrap narrative of you can do it and anybody can do it to delving into politics and the less talked about narratives of personal finances and how it affects our daily lives, whether that's paternity leave, maternity leave, and every intersection of money in the lives of women and men and people of color, it's all starting to bubble up into the financial independence space. Purple, let's talk about the Plutus Awards a little bit. I was noting that the Plutus Best Financial Independence Retire Early blog nominees, and you were in there, so a Purple Life financial mechanic was in there, Early Retirement Now, The Pioneers, and Tread Lightly Retire Early. That's a real interesting mix. Talk about the impact that young women are having on financial independence. Young women are having a huge impact on financial independence, not just for representation purposes, as Mechanic mentioned, but getting the word out there, expanding what we're talking about in finance, like Tori mentioned. I think not just showing that anyone, well, not anyone, but a lot of people can do this is huge. Are you surprised by that list of nominees? I mean, early retirement now is the only male. He was the only person probably over 30 years old or pretty close to it. I'm not sure Angela's age. Is that a little surprising to you? I mean, that's a big award, right? Best Financial Independence Retirement Early Blog. That's no minor award, right? Yeah. No, I was very surprised. And I'd seen the videos of previous Plutus Awards, and it was very stereotypical. So it was great to see not just the Best Fire Blog nominees, but Blog of the Year, Podcast of the Year. It was much more representative than I've ever seen before. Mechanics, so we have a population of young women who are certainly making their mark on financial independence. Does this play into the whole family issue? I mean, is this group of women more or less family-oriented, more or less likely to have kids, more or less likely to get married? Do we see this as any different than previous generations, or, or is it the same? I'd have to go look at the data, but I think in general, for the general population, people are getting married later. People are getting married later. They're having kids later. And I think that's being reflected in the FIRE movement of young independent women who are managing their own money. That's also something I think it's 86% of millennials talk about their money compared to other generations who talk about money a lot less. So we're seeing the reflection of the general population in the FIRE movement in how we're getting these diverse voices and stories based off of the movement or based off cultural landscape now. And I think it's really interesting to be dating while you're either pursuing FI or while you're more financially you know, adept to, to different things. So it's very interesting as a single woman who's like on dating apps, who's actively dating to not only have this platform that she's built, but also to be more financially confident in a patriarchal society where it tends to skew the male is the confident one in a heteronormative relationship. So that's very interesting as well. If, okay, if we're getting married later, we're having kids later, but we're now pursuing financial independence, what does that look like if you're a single woman trying to date? <laughs> Purple, did that change the dynamic between you and your partner? You mentioned that originally your partner was urging you towards this lifestyle and to learn about it. You embraced it. Did that change your relationship with your partner and money? 
I don't think it did, but that might be because he introduced me to the concept, but he was pretty chill about it. He was just like, this is something that we should think about just kind of as a backup plan. And then I dove in with both feet and then I surpassed him in like my excitement and enthusiasm for Phi. And so it didn't really change our relationship dynamic besides me bothering him to hurry up so we could retire together. That's also something I noticed learning from Phi was to question the default and following Purple's story and other stories, I realized we don't need the second car. We don't need a big house. And something else that came out of that was we don't need to share our finances and we might not need to get married either. So looking at the implications of what marriage means, what our money means, what it means to have control over my own money and my own finances early on has helped shape how I'm going to be managing my money in the future as well. And Mechanic, your partner is a physician-to-be. How does he respond to some of this financial independence talk? Is it natural and normal for him or does it sound strange? He is like purple when she first found out about it. He is baffled and partly because as a doctor, he's putting in so much of his life to build this career that he ultimately is planning on staying in forever and that he loves. And actually, my date to fire is when he finishes his full residency and becomes a fully fledged doctor. So for him, we're almost on completely different pages when it comes to the retiring early aspect. But when it comes to Phi, he understands the power of saving up money and the way that it gives you different options and different paths in life open up to you if you have that financial security. Tori, I'd like to transition from a discussion of gender more to a discussion of youth. If I'm correct, you're 25 years old, right? I am. Yep. And you have built a successful business being a career job negotiator coach. Is that correct? Among other things. Yeah, I coach women about their money. So whatever that looks like, budgeting, saving, investing, negotiating, all of that stuff. 25 years old is pretty young. And one thing I've noticed about my generation, especially, is the imposter syndrome really plays a big role. For many of us, stepping into a new role or stepping outside of our comfort zone has made us question if we were ready to do such work. It seems to me your generation is a lot more confident. Like for you at 25 years old, was there a sense of imposter syndrome when you decided that fairly young and fairly new into the workplace, you would become a coach helping other people in this space? Did that feel comfortable to you? I have a yes and no answer. I feel like I was meant to do this, as cliche and cheesy as that sounds. I get an energy when I coach a woman with her money or when I am on stage speaking. I get this energy that I feel in very few other places in my life. And that's how I know that I was meant to do this. But imposter syndrome happens every gosh dang day. It's very hard to distance yourself from that. And I think especially as women, that's what we're told is it's like, you should be grateful for every opportunity you have, as opposed to like, no, I earned my way here and I worked really hard to do this. I think the other thing that keeps me from having imposter syndrome frequently is that I know that what I'm doing is needed. I know that what I'm building and the value I'm providing is so needed to women across the United States and now across the world. So I think in that way, I know I'm filling this need that maybe people weren't filling in the same way previously. I also wonder if having the word and there's now a lot more people know about what imposter syndrome is affects different generations. Right now, there's a whole big conversation. We're learning about it. I learned about it maybe five years ago. I was reading about it and it was actually in relation to men. 
And then I read about it in Women in Tech as a software engineer myself. And now that we're talking about it, I think we have more tools to be able to realize that everyone is feeling this and to start taking those risks that maybe we don't feel qualified yet to take. And mechanic, let's talk about those risks a little bit. You were trained as a mechanical engineer, but that's not at all what you do right now. You work as a software engineer and you kind of jumped into that field. What gave you that confidence? How did imposter syndrome not stop you? Partially, it comes down to a bit of a rebellious personality. I was telling a friend that I was searching on Indeed for engineering jobs and they all were software engineering jobs. And I had my mechanical engineering degree and I said, well, maybe I could do that. And my friend said, I don't think you could. And he didn't mean it as an insult really, but I took it as a, like, I think I could, I'm going to try. And so I applied and I got my first junior software engineering job. And I had read about if you're applying for jobs and not meeting all the requirements requirements that to apply anyway. And so actually looking back, I applied for some roles that were way senior engineers with 10 years of experience, but I applied to enough that I did get that original job. So I think that's a big piece of it is just jumping in and maybe having a little bit of a rebellious spirit. Purple, on the same vein, it seems like a lot of the content creators in this group are millennials or kind of older Gen Zers. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of lambasting they get in the media. Do you think it's fair? I mean, is the media against millennials for some reason unfairly? It seems like every generation that is becoming adults, I believe the oldest millennials now are almost 40. It seems like every generation likes to kind of put down the next one. <laughs> I'm assuming that Gen Zers are the ones writing these articles about how we're ruining the economy because we don't want to buy houses or get married or we like avocado toast or whatever it is today. So no, I don't think it's fair, but it does seem to be the norm, unfortunately. And I don't think it should be. Like we are changing the conversation and that's fine if we don't want to buy really expensive cars or houses right now. And I think what's really interesting is the fact that where a lot of these publications that are coming out with this guidance to millennials, they'll publish a piece, why aren't millennials taking our advice? Why won't they save money? Why won't they listen to us? And so I think it's very interesting where they have these pieces and you either flip the page or you keep scrolling and you realize that then the next piece of advice is, oh, millennials are you know, buying too much avocado toast or not spending enough money and it's shaming language. And just from a marketing perspective, if you want to appeal to a certain audience, you don't want to shame them <laughs> because then they won't take your advice. And so it's so interesting that all of these money publications who are like, I don't understand why millennials won't listen to us. Well, it's because you're making fun of millennials constantly. <laughs> So mechanic, as I'm listening to this, it's funny to me because while millennials are being lambasted, they're also, as we are talking about, in some ways, millennial women seem to be the new generation of the financial independence community. But obviously, there are some definite differences in culture between the generations. Do you feel that there's a different focus on work and life in this group of people coming up in the community? 100%. There's way more interest in flexible work schedules and working from home and how technology is going to affect our work. And I think that's leaking into our conversations about money and freedom and finance. And it's how are we going to finance the life that we want to live, whether that's traveling as a nomad or working in a job that we adore, even though maybe it doesn't pay as well, and crafting that life for ourselves. I think there's always been a struggle in every generation of dad, I want to play football and, or I want to be an actor. And your dad says, no, you need to play football. And that was the stereotype for a while. And now it's the same thing. You should be a scientist or an engineer. 
and those things are great, but also people want to be storytellers and authors, and so the FI movement is a reflection of trying to find that freedom for people. Tori, is there this tension between sacrifice versus finding your passion in this young generation? I think so. I think we're so focused as millennials uh, to, you know, completely do a generalization, but I think most of us are focused really on how do we make sure that our values are aligned with what we're doing? And so if you're working a job that you don't really care about or working for a company that you don't really care about, it's really hard, I think, for millennials to really get behind that and put your all in that if you really honestly don't care about it, right? Or don't feel like it aligns with who you are or what you value. So I think to your point, the dichotomy of like, how do you make sure that you're paying your bills and that quote unquote sacrifice of maybe doing something that you aren't completely in love with, with the, do I chase my passion? Do I do what I really love to do? And I think we're all kind of chasing the middle, which is like, how can I find something that pays the bills while also brings me joy and you know has a social impact and all of those things. So that's the hard thing. And I think that's why FI appeals to so many people is it's like, if you're in the quote unquote sacrifice kind of job, there's a way out and it's, you know, 20, 30 years before the way out was previously. And Mechanic, you mentioned in one of your blog posts the HOT acronym. Do you want to talk about what that is and what it means? The HOT acronym came out of a Dutch meetup and they talked about forget fire, let's get hot, which is happy, opportunity rich, and time rich. And it's just another way of talking about what Tori was saying is that we all want to be happy. We want to have control over our time. And if we have financial stability, we have the opportunity to improve our lives and take on really interesting projects that make us feel fulfilled. And so sometimes the branding might be a little off. And so I like the article because it talks about forget fire, let's get hot. Purple, this idea of forgetting fire reminds me of the fact that especially my generation, a lot of Gen Xers, you hear them talking about fat fire a lot, right? So this idea of retiring with an abundance of money. For you, it's a little different, right? What is your fire goal when it comes to money? And how does that play a role in what type of post-fire lifestyle you're planning on having? Uh, Well, my fire goal is to have half a million dollars, almost there. And it's interesting you talk about older generations in fat fire because my mom retired at 55, her parents retired at 50, and I would consider what she did fat fire. So it might, seeing her do that, and she retired five years ago, seeing her do that probably affected the way that I'm planning my life. Her and I have very different lifestyles. She owns a house. She also has a rental property, multiple cars, like very stereotypical. And then growing up in that environment, I kind of learned what I didn't want. So my goal is much lower than hers. And I want to not be tied down to a house or a location. I want to be able to travel at will. I've mentioned I'm not married, so I do have a partner who can come along with me. But there's really nothing holding me back so I can take what might be considered a small amount of money and hopefully live on it for many decades. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, 
We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Tori is the new community of financial independence followers and personal finance followers eschewing such high levels of wealth and looking towards a smaller number when it comes to enough? I think it depends on the person. Personal finance is personal, right? It depends on your background. It depends on what your values are. Yeah, it really depends. I think it's really, again, interesting to see if you get started younger, right? Statistically speaking, you can live on less money. So you're talking to three women who are under 35 or under 30 even, right? So I think the way that we're looking at our own fire journeys or our own financial independence deadlines is hopefully sooner because we found this movement sooner as well. But again, personal finance is personal. I think every person's different. If you have a family, that's going to affect it differently. If you want to buy a house, it's going to affect it differently. There's so many factors there. Mechanic, Tori mentioned that all three of you are 30 years old or less. Are you guys less risk averse than maybe the previous generations of people who went through this? I would probably echo Tori in that it's very personal and it depends on the people. And it definitely depends on when you find out about it. Because I think 
when I talk to my parents or when I think about financial independence, when I first came across finance, I definitely thought, oh, I should have 80% in bonds because I don't like to think about gambling my money away. But as I've come to understand finances and gotten that financial education, now I'm way more risk tolerant than I used to be. So I think that education piece plays a huge role in that as well. Completely agree. And I think there is a wide range even within our generation of risk tolerance. Like usually I'm pointed at as an example of someone who's doing something wild even within the community. (laughs) So I feel like we really run the whole range. And I think there's been a really interesting pushback against the words risk adverse. I think more people are speaking about women in a way that's risk aware. Risk adverse seems to be like like a, a little bit of a dig sometimes, especially when we're considering women investing. Too often, it's again, the same narrative of like, I don't want to invest because I'm afraid I'm going to lose all my money. And it's, it's seen as a negative for women that women are more risk adverse when it comes to investing. But I think we're just more risk aware. Also, what's really interesting, and I read up a little bit about this because I wanted to understand why women are investing less than men. And it doesn't have to do with being risk averse. It's more about because they actually earn less. And if we're talking about women of color, they earn 60 cents to a man's dollar. And so we start there. There's a huge gap. And then white women earn 80 cents to a man's dollar. So there's still a gap. And if you look at people who earn less, they invest less. And that's why women invest less than men. So that's actually just fun to bit. And then women on average actually live seven years longer than men. So we're taking less money. It's earning less money. We either wait to invest it to mechanics point or we don't invest it at all. And then we're expected to live seven years longer on that money. So yeah, we need these conversations. Tori, to follow up on what you said about risk aversion and having that be almost a gender dig, I think one of the purposes of having you three on to talk about what you represent is the fact that you guys aren't risk averse at all. In a sense, you guys are a lot braver than I think the generations that came before you. And that's what makes this story, to me at least, so interesting is you seem much less afraid to go after what you want and to do it in the way you want to do it. And to me, that actually is a a change in what I think the financial independence retirement early community, as well as personal finance has been in the past. So I'm going to throw this over to you, Purple. Do you think that FIRE has evolved? I do think it's evolved. I think it has a wider range of acceptable paths instead of the ones that we saw in the early FIRE blogs. And Mechanic, I'd ask you the same question. Is it also feel a little more inclusive? I think it feels way more inclusive. There are more voices. People are trying to listen to those voices and there's more awareness there like we saw at the Plutus Awards where the people who are in power are starting to shift that power and it might not be perfect, but we're getting to hear those voices and I hope we hear more voices. It's certainly not perfect. It's more diverse, but it's not as diverse as it should be. There's still room for more people to tell their stories, but I do think that the change is coming and the change is good. Yeah, I concur with everything that was just said. It's any movement, right, is it starts somewhere and it ends a different place. So I think much more inclusive, but we got a long way to go as well. So Purple, I'm going to make myself sound a little old here. When I discovered financial independence in the 40s, it completely changed my thoughts about what I really want. So the question from kind of an old guy looking at you guys is how at your age do you know what you want already? I never claim to know what I want. I know what the next year will hold, maybe two years, but I'm not confident that I know what 
10 years from now, Purple will want. So I think giving myself that freedom to have the financial backing to do whatever that may be is the best path forward. Well, I think Purple, that's the whole idea, right? Is that financial independence gives you choices. You can choose whatever you want to do. So it's not so much like I want to be this or I want to be that in terms of like career or lifestyle or any of that. It's just saying, no, I want to be financially independent. So I have those opportunities and those choices. Too many people don't have the freedom to be able to, to make their own decisions about the way they want to live their lives. And I think that's the appeal is hit FI or at least, you know, be on the journey to FI so you can have these choices. Mechanic, am I wrong in my assumption that you guys all seem so clear on where you want to be over the next few years? I think it helps that each of us have a stated goal that we're writing about and talking about in terms of getting 100K at 25 retiring next year with $500,000, retiring by 32 with $1.2 million. And we talk about it, we write about it, but that doesn't mean that those goals might change. I might decide in a year that actually a purple life is killing it and maybe I want to retire with a little less too. And we can learn from each other and go from there. And like Tori said, we have these choices built in because we learned about financial independence early. We got the education. We've self-taught ourselves how to manage our money. And now we have the option to change that goal in the future. Tori, we are on the edge of one of the best stock markets over the last decade. Do you fear that a financial downturn will affect your peers in a way that was unexpected? How do you guys think you'll manage maybe the first bad market of your adult life? It's a concern I have. I mean, I was 13 when 2008 happened. I was watching my parents go through it, who are very financially responsible. There was no like real true stress on our family, but I saw my dad be very anxious at what the market was doing and what that meant for his retirement in the next 10 years. And so I grew up with a really, really great economy. Uh, that's part of my 100K is I don't think I would have gotten to 100K this fast had I not had the market on my side. But I am really trying to make sure that I have the mindset that I want to take to all of my clients and all of the people following me, which is we're in this for the long term. We're in this for the long haul, especially since we're younger. We're millennials. We have more time. So this is what the market's supposed to do. It's going to boom and bust and we just have to stick with it. So it's all really the mindset and the emotional side of it, which I know is easier said than done. So talk to me in recession, what, one or two years and then <laughs> and then check on my emotional well-being. But right now I'm, I'm realizing like, okay, the attitude I need to have for my own finances is the attitude I need to project to everybody else, which is just not panic and just stick with it. You're playing the long game. Purple, any concern that 500K may not stand up to a recession? Not based on my models. My projections for that actually includes not having a spending ceiling, but having a spending floor. So based on last 150 years of investment data, I would have survived all of it, even without having that ceiling. So I personally feel very comfortable with it. Like I said, I have a very flexible lifestyle and I would be quite happy to then we have a recession tomorrow and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a sabbatical and go to Mexico. I would be very happy with that. Well, let's swing this back around to the kind of the arc of this conversation that we've had. And I'd like for each of you to answer this, starting with Purple. Are young women the new face of financial independence and why does it matter? I think they are. And I think it matters simply for that representation aspect and seeing yourself in a community and knowing you're welcome and more than just a stereotype of a white male programmer is welcome in this space. And what is your message to those who might be listening to this who fall into the same 
category you are and what, what is your encouragement to them? My main purpose with my blog and sharing all of my numbers monthly and all that stuff is really to just show that you can do this. Even if you can't retire with half a million at 30, you can save, you can invest, you can teach yourself how to be knowledgeable in this finance space. And black women can do it. White men can do it. Everyone can do it, I think. Financial Mechanics, same question to you. I think we've established that this is the new trend. Why does that matter? And what do you feel like your contribution to that is? It matters, just like Purple said, for representation, to hear the stories, to find out that this is possible. And it matters because we need to get more people on board. While it's shifting, it needs to shift more. The history is white males, and now we're getting a lot of white women, but what about people of color? What about not just younger people, but older people who are now hitting retirement and aren't ready? And we need to make sure that the more that this is talked about and personal finance is out in the world, that we're getting more voices, that we're hearing from everybody of all walks of life coming out of poverty, coming out of middle class. And what did that mean for them? What steps did they take that others can take too to hopefully achieve more financial stability and fulfillment in their lives? Very well said. And Tori, when we first broached this subject, we asked you the question, are young women the new phase of financial independence? And you said, yes, in the conversation. Of course it is. Well, why does that matter? And what are you sharing with your audience to that end? I echo both previous sentiments. I think it's not just for women, it's for people of color, it's for disabled people, it's for LGBTQ, it's for you know anybody who's felt like a marginalized group, whether you know in the financial independence space or outside of that. So I think it's really important to have conversations about not just personal finance, but how our entire lives and world are affecting that personal finance conversation. And I think that's what the unique perspective that we all bring is I'm not just going to talk about saving money. I'm going to talk about how it's harder to save money you know, with pay gaps and investing gaps and not being able to negotiate your salary or not succeeding in doing that. And so I think that's a unique perspective is it's, of course, our personal stories, but it's also based on there's other things that we need to talk about when it comes to money because money affects us differently as marginalized groups. Purple, no one's going to argue that there is true gender equality or equity out in the world as a whole. But within our little community, do you feel like we've reached some gender equality? I'm going to say no, only because I feel like communities reflect the society they're in. And I don't see the FIRE community as a separate bubble that's removed from that. This might get me in trouble, but I think it's very interesting that at the Plutus Awards, we have a best personal finance blog for women. There is no best personal finance blog for men. It's just best personal finance blog. So I think in that arena, yeah, we got some work to do. Mechanic, do you echo that sentiment? Absolutely. I think mentioned before that this community reflects out in the world and, and we have work to do in every aspect. And I think it's getting better. And this conversation that we've just had is helpful and hopefully will affect some people's opinions of the fire movement and how it's trending towards a better spot, but we're not there yet. Tori, I want to take this one step further. We mentioned young women as the new face of FI. So we didn't only say women, we said young also. Is there ageism in our community? That's a hard thing to say. It feels disingenuous to be able to say there's ageism for maybe older people because I'm 25. Like I can't speak to their experience. So I'd love to hear their perspectives. I think from a young person standpoint, yeah, there is ageism in the personal finance community, not necessarily in FI, but in the personal finance community at large. 
to your point earlier about imposter syndrome, I am often asked, usually by straight, white, older men, like, why do you feel qualified to talk about personal finance? You're 25, you haven't lived life yet, why do you feel qualified? And I think I'm qualified for all of the reasons you actually just said I'm not qualified for. Like, I'm trying to figure this out just like everybody else is. And I think in that way, it makes me more relatable. I'm able to talk about personal finance as a person and not like this highbrow expert who has been around the block and now can't speak to you like a normal person. So I think in that way, there definitely is ageism. And that's something I can, of course, speak to because it's been my personal experience. I don't know so much in the FI community, but definitely in the personal finance community at large. Purple, talk about the FI community. We talked about that lambasting that the media does with millennials. Is there ageism against young people in our community? I don't think so or at least that I've experienced. Possibly because every time I express my goals, my FI goals, I hear from older people, oh, if only, like if only I'd been as smart as you at that age. I'm like, I didn't say I was smart. But it seems more accepting, especially since they see, oh, if only I was like a little more like you, a little younger, instead of, oh, you young whippersnappers don't know what you're talking about. I will say it was interesting when I started my blog because I picked a name where a lot of people assume that I'm male right away. At first, I didn't have my age on it. I approached it in that I kind of wanted to be more general and speak to everybody. And maybe I don't make it just about women or have this agenda, you could say, but it slowly turned into like, I'm speaking for myself. I'm a woman. I have these experiences These stories that I tell on my blog are all things that affected my life, whether it's having a stay-at-home dad or negotiating my salary. And so it ended up coming out that, okay, I'm 26 and I'm a young woman and my blog name is Financial Mechanic. And I think it's all been mostly positive in terms of ageism and people responding to my story and my age and my gender as well. I think overall, it's been more positive than negative and I was scared at first, but I'm glad that I went further. Do you ever feel like people, once they realize what demographic you're from, minimize you at all? I don't know if they do that, but I do know that enough people have been taken aback that I'm glad I did it because I want to challenge that assumption. I want people when they hear software engineer to think female, to think person of color, to think somebody who's disabled. Like I want to expand that. And I think when people are faced with their own assumptions, and I've done it too on Reddit, where which is male dominated, the default pronoun is almost always he. But how can we change that? How do we talk about the assumptions that we make and whether or not it's personal finance community or as a mechanic, it can be something else. So why are we making these assumptions? To that end, financial mechanic, I would like to give you a chance to promote your blog and ask you the question, what is up next for you? So you can find me at www.financialmechanic.com. I'm on Twitter as FiMechanic. I'm on Instagram at Mechanic Financial, which is a little bit confusing, but you can always find me on, I'm mostly on Twitter, so F-I Mechanic. And what's up next for me is I'm just going to be continuing telling my story on my blog. Feel free to check out Fire and Hot. You can search those on my blog and that article about shaving my legs. It's one of my favorites. So check it out. (laughs) I get real on the blog. So that's what's up next. Same question to you, Purple. Uh, What is up next for you and where can we find you? You can find me at a purplelife.com and what's up next is retiring in September of 2020. Tori, share with the audience where we can find you and what is up next for you. 
My platform is her first 100K, H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T 100K.com. I'm way cooler on Instagram. So come say hi on IG. I actually just hit my goal of 100K at 25. So I'm throwing a rager. Like I'm very excited. I'm going to throw a party to celebrate. So if you're in the Seattle area, I'm not sure when it's happening yet, but it's going to be a blast. So I'm celebrating that. I was also recently profiled by Good Morning America, and that was a really exciting opportunity for me. So I'm just kind of basking in the glow of that and continuing to fight the patriarchy through financial guidance. So come take a workshop, come work with me in coaching, just follow me on IG. I talk about fried chicken and financial independence. It's great. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. I wanted to thank Purple Life Financial Mechanic and Tori Dunlop on behalf of myself and my co-host, Paul Thompson. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. Yeah. He's the type where uh, everyone's writing their essay about why they want to be a doctor and they're like, I want to help people. And he's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Else. He's like, I want to sit in a dark room and look at pictures. <laughs> I just want to find out what's wrong with you. Not- just, just like my childhood. Sorry, I've been, Get- you know, holding on to my radiology jokes. <laughs> He's getting them all, them all out right out, now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I have a reason. <laughs> Finally, he, he's been holding on for 10 years. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've got psychiatry jokes. I haven't been able to use my radiology ones, but now. I'm now ready. We've got he's not here episode. to defend himself. All this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best time to make fun of someone. That's true. True. Hopefully yeah, we're kicking all the white male engineers out. doctors doctors it's all doctors so so doc you and me just better just hang up our hat we're we're out yeah we're out but well i'm almost out i'm a white engineer so just the female part get out of here i know well so you better be sound smart that's, that's, that's what he was saying. So the, so the point is, please be smart. Say something smart. Can we get the editor on standby? <laughs> we record everything. Uh, Otherwise, it's you guys alone. I think you can carry the burden. It's possible. We could do it. I'll let the mechanic handle it. <laughs> we would just hear snoring sounds from purple. We'd be like... <laughs> I've got my green tea. It might help. I agree. The white male engineer is boring. Yeah. They're out, (laughs) as Purple says. Female white engineer. Here we go. I know. Big change. I know. One stereotype at a time. (laughs) Slowly shifting. Slaying one stereotype at a time here at the What's Up Next podcast. Single white female engineer. Well, not single, I guess. <laughs> well, it sounded yeah, good. Yeah, semi, yeah, semi-single. Right? Oh, yeah, not semi-s- married. Yeah, not yeah. married. So, single yeah. for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Isn't that all that matters? <laughs> yes. It's the only reason you get married is for is to defile jointly, right? Right. I mean, I I did the math. It didn't work out, so I'm still single. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, that's right. There, there's the marriage penalty, right? The marriage tax penalty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The main question for the show is going to be, are young women the new face of financial independence? And I want to make sure you're okay with that before. The answer is yes. So. <laughs> exactly. So I just want to make sure you feel comfortable talking about show, that. The show's done. Okay. That's yeah. all I have to say. Right. We're finished. Thank you. Out. <laughs> Mic drop. This is Financial Mechanic. Oh, wait. <laughs> because it's from Financial Mechanic. So this is Financial Mechanic. I'm a black woman for everyone listening that doesn't know. <laughs> a black woman with hair that periodically changes color. Yes, this is for Halloween. <laughs> Got it. It's, it's now, what, what would you call that, platinum blonde? Yeah, trying to go for Storm from X-Men. And if mm. I remember correctly, last time I saw, him, saw her, it was purple at FinCon. Yes. Plan, he actually is a programmer, such a stereotype, white male programmer. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I, uh, well, my fire goal is to have half a million dollars, almost there, just 98K away. Not a big deal, you know? Um, and... You mean your hair may not be purple forever? No, it might be red next week. I don't know. (laughs) I hear from older people, oh, if only, like if only I'd been as smart as you at that age. I'm like, I didn't say I was smart. Calm down. But (laughs) Mechanic, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought you were a dude for about a year, (laughs) which probably doesn't speak well to me. But yeah, definitely thought you were a dude for a long time. I think it was there was a Twitter conversation and people were talking about shaving their legs and I knew that everyone thought I was a guy but I wasn't gonna not tell the story so I talked about how I actually don't shave and everyone piped in like wait <laughs> what of course you don't you're a dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I got some kickback for that I'm like no <laughs> That's what's up next is getting a hot and, and shaving your and not shaving your legs. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Good job, everybody. Yay! And and we gotta get better at, at our pronouns, Doc. We both say you guys constantly. We're we're yeah, such male true. chauvinist pigs. You gotta go to y'all. Y'all, yeah. Yeah. y'all's y'all. good. Yeah. Y'all folks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from the south, accent? so I I can pull that off. I I can do that. Oh yeah, I Georgia. Have to- to be giving this advice, the whole purpose was then to have you pull out all the reasons why. Oh no, I was personally you were offended. Very qualified, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Doc, do you have imposter syndrome now because you're so old? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends about what, right? You know, <laughs> some things, yes. Other things, no. I'm just trolling you. I'm not kidding. I know. I know. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.